0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Coffee and Football right here on On Texas Football. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined each and every morning by Bobby Burton and CJ Vogel. And guys, football season has officially come to a close. The AP final AP poll was released Late, late, late last night. Texas comes in at number three. Were you surprised by that ranking?
2: Not really. I mean, look, the only team that could have jumped them, I thought, was Georgia, right? Um, You know, and that was after they obliterated a Florida State team that was just clearly or outmatched, Uh, but I'm not surprised by that at all. Um, Washington deserved to end up being number two. Uh, you know, I thought Washington showed some pluck last night a little bit. You know, they got back in the game exactly how they gotten back in so many games before. They kind of uh, made a couple of big plays. But uh, the Michigan defense guys, ooh, uh, they got after Michael Penix, unlike Texas got after him, period. Uh, they were able to make him uh, be on the run all night long. Uh, just never could feel comfortable. They brought blitzes from everywhere. People were saying, oh, well, they only got to him with four. That third and fourth quarter, they lit him up with blitzes uh, coming from every which way. So, um, look, uh, they definitely uh, Michigan deserved the national title uh, undefeated, uh, beat an Alabama team that had gone on a roll and won the SEC, uh, beat a Washington team that was undefeated at 14 or 15 and 0 as well. So uh, my hat's off to the Wolverines now. Uh, We'll see if they vacate their title in about a year or two Uh, based on based on Jim Harbaugh. (laughs) constantly being uh, having issues with, uh, with uh, the NCAA.
1: Well, one thing I want to bring up while we're on the subject of the AP poll, guys, and I did this this morning. Number three ranked Texas played six teams in the final AP top 25, beating four of them by a combined score of 156 to 89. The two losses, of course, were to both Washington and Oklahoma by a
2: combined 10 points. So not a bad year. No, it's a great, it was a great year for Texas. I mean, I don't know what else you want to 12 wins. I mean, it's a great year. And you know what? I thought for a time, and CJ, I don't know if it ran through your head last night, but when Michigan got out to that big lead early, I was like, oh man, this could be Georgia versus, uh, Georgia versus uh, TCU all over, but it didn't turn into that. And if it would have been Georgia versus TCU all over, Texas could have potentially lost some momentum, right? They, they could have lost some momentum on the recruiting trail. Oh, well, Texas didn't really belong, et cetera. Uh, but people watched that game. And Washington was in it in the fourth quarter. It was 20 to 13. Um, and so it, even though it ended up being 34-13, uh, by the way, I picked 34-20, I believe, for for Michigan to win that game. Uh, so I think I, of the three of us, I win that one, guys. Yep. <laughs> um, but my, my take on it is is that it, it didn't have any negative effect on Texas. If anything, it bolstered Michigan. Uh, so if Texas is going up against Michigan next year some recruiting battles, uh, don't for don't uh, think that won't play a role. but uh, look, uh, Texas uh, a great year finishing number three, beating several uh, AP top twenty five teams. I think the total was five. They went four and two, I think against the AP top twenty five, the only two losses, Washington and Oklahoma. Uh, so i'm I'm uh, do we get a bronze trophy? No, we do not get a bronze trophy, but uh, I think that matches a and m's all-time high. Uh, since I don't know 1939, you know, in Steve Sarkeesian's third year, so not not bad for the Longhorns. No, not at all. All right, guys. Well, let's move on. Let's speak
1: of the Longhorns. Let's talk about Longhorns that have declared for the draft. And there's been a, cu- a couple since we were last on about 24 hours ago. What do y'all have there? Uh,
2: say say that again,
1: Blake. Oh. I'm sorry. No, no, you're good, Bobby. I said, uh, right. Well, right now, you know, we have a couple of longhorns that have declared for the draft. Within okay. The draft, I'm sorry. The draft, what can you tell people there?
2: You cut out there for a minute for me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, first of all, Adnay Mitchell, uh, he, uh, uh, declared for the draft yesterday as expected. So did Jalen Ford. So did Keelan Robinson. That one went a little under the radar, I think, for some people. Uh, but obviously, he's been a key cog in the machine of Jeff Banks and that special teams. Uh, group for the Longhorns. Uh, you know, with Mitchell, I think, Blake, the big piece uh, for uh, me is that just how much receiving yardage and catches the Longhorns now lose. They lose their top four receivers uh, in Worthy, Whittington, and Mitchell. You actually lose your tight end. That's your top receiving tight end. And then they lose the fifth one as well, Blake. Uh, and they lose, uh, that. that is Jonathan Brooks. So their top five pass catchers are gone for next year. Their leading returning receiver is C.J. Baxter with 24 catches. Uh, Jaden Blue had 14. Gunnar Helm had 14. Uh, the next highest receiver was Jonte Cook with eight. So uh, if there's a position now that just went from a strength, like I rated their, the Texas receiving room the best group, of the 2023 uh, uh, team on offense. I really believe that. Uh, They're going to go from that to now we got to replace a bunch of dudes, man, a bunch. And so uh, this, uh, you know, portal recruiting becomes more important. Uh, Texas uh, CJ broke the news yesterday that Silas Bolin, a wide receiver uh, out of uh, Oregon state will be making an official visit to Texas over the weekend. Uh, he's also got visits lined up to Arizona and Washington as well. Uh, he caught fifty-four balls. He's more of a he's more of a, a Xavier Worthy type, CJ. But he's not even as tall as Xavier Worthy. He just has that acceleration. Um, what do, what do you think? What do you make, CJ, of Texas having to replace all these wide receivers?
3: Well, it's going to be a challenge. I mean, you talked about not only the the production, but the talent, and obviously how impactful these guys were to the Texas offensive room in in, in its entirety. It's a lot of mouths that will have, you know, new food on their plate. You know, there's a lot of guys that will have to step up, a lot of guys who, uh, at least in the Texas ranks currently, haven't yet proven that they can be that reliable number one or number two or or even that number three guy. You know, you talked about Jonte Cook really being – you know, one of the leading returning receivers with only eight career receptions. It's a lot of uncertainty. You know, Texas didn't play Ryan Niblett. They didn't play DeAndre Moore a whole lot. Uh, obviously the, the, that whole group of fresh coming in as well. It's a very young group. So there's going to have to be a guy or two, a Ryan Wingo, or, you know, someone along those lines that takes that next leap. Uh, and we've seen, you know, very clearly why Texas wants to go into the portal to grab a an experienced guy with production. So, it makes all the sense in the world right now for Sarkeesian to go out and find veteran guys who he believes he can put trust into because that's been the number one thing for Sarkeesian and his receivers. You're not going to be on the field if he doesn't trust you and, and believe that you will be on the field to, do, to run the right routes, to make the right plays, to block the right guy, whatever it might be. That's a big part of Steve Sarkeesian's offense. And so there has to be a guy or, or multiple guys that step up in spring football that earn that trust moving forward.
2: Let me ask you this: uh, If we're if we're spitballing right now, based on what you know, who are the three starters at wide receiver that Sark trots out there uh, on, on game one against Colorado State on August thirty first?
3: I know two for sure, and I think it goes into kind of the debate on whether or not who they add, where they add. Uh, from the portal, whatever that might be. Otherwise, it might be Ryan Wingo. But right now, I believe Jonte Cook is penciled in. I believe Matthew Golden is penciled in. And funny enough, we actually had the conversation with Rod a little bit yesterday uh, during talking ball. A big part of Texas's offense is the lateral, you know, passing attack. You know, it's the the passes behind the line of scrimmage. 28% of Quinn attempts came behind the line of scrimmage this year of the bodies that we just named, of the, you know, kind of builds that they have. I don't know if there's a Jordan Whittington kind of alpha dog in the blocking scheme that, that Texas has for next year. You know, there's not necessarily a guy with that physique, with that physicalness, with that, you know, seemingly approach to want to block. I know it was a a, a longer learning curve for A.D. Mitchell last year, despite being 6'2". Right now, Jontae Cook, not a big guy not a guy with a lot of history of blocking Matthew golden, similar build, not a guy who you would expect to dominate in the pass blocking world as well. Silas Bolden's five, eight, five, nine. He's not going to be a guy that, you know, you're going to be tasked with blocking a a nickel or an outside linebacker, or even a corner for that matter. So a lot of question marks. And so I'm looking at a guy like Ryan Wingo right now to say, Hey, you've got to step up. You've got to find a way onto the field because Texas needs your body type out there. And two, They could sure as hell use your production, you know, or the promise of what your production could be. So that's kind of the big thing for me. I would say
2: this. I would add this on that. Uh, Texas gave away some things with Jordan Whittington in the slot a little bit. Whittington, while a really good player and a team leader and all these things and likely has an NFL future ahead of him, is not the quickest slot. And so Texas gave away some stuff over the middle in the passing game uh, because of his leadership, because of his blocking ability, um, and I, I think that Texas, unless they pick up another tight end in the portal, they're going to do a lot more eleven personnel probably next year. CJ, um, because you know this past year you not only had JT Sanders, you also have Gunnar Helm. Now, what's that tight end room going to look like next year? Uh, and so that's that's all that's all to be found out. We got to figure out who. Uh, if any, Texas ends up in the portal from the receiver perspective. C.J. Daniels, the wide receiver that was in over the weekend, he is expected uh, to make a decision here in the next week or so. Uh, could be as soon as, uh, you know, whenever. He is the uh, young man out of Liberty that's down to Auburn, Florida, and Texas. We believe that's really Auburn uh, versus Texas at this point. Uh, however, I do want to update also the defensive tackle, Jamari Caldwell. I mentioned yesterday he was the number one defensive tackle in the portal, he is not. Walter Nolan out of Texas A&M is the number one defense tackle in the portal. I was talking about the number one guy for the University of Texas. Um, and so he is definitely the top prospect for Texas there. He was supposed to be, or he is expected to be on the cusp of a decision at this point. Texas versus Oregon is what I'm being told. 6'2", to 315 pounds. A young man out of Newberry, South Carolina. Originally, I went to the University of Houston, spent the last two of the years there. We're waiting on his decision because I think that's going to be key. Uh, I, we've gone several minutes here without even mentioning CJ and, and Blake. The bigger piece of this, Jade Barron uh, has yet to make his announcement as yep. well. Um, that could be any day now. Uh, he has till January 15th to make a decision. The one thing I would say that I've been told is Jade is wanting to perhaps come back and get a, a longer look and more reps at corner. Not safety. Uh, CJ, you and I pontificated that he might be a better safety long term. Well, he's actually thinking I need to get some reps at corner to show my versatility to the NFL. This is, in fact, interesting because Barron has already accepted a senior bowl invite. Um, And so him coming back would be a little bit of a surprise. But it's clear that he's uh, trying to make a decision uh, that uh, could involve Texas right now. So uh, we'll have to wait and see how that, that works out.
1: All right, guys, I want to go back to the receiver conversation for just a moment because we're getting Mm -hmm. lots of questions along those lines. And Ryan Niblett is a name that comes up quite a bit in these conversations, especially when talking about transfer receivers. For example, Chris Morris says, why can't we use the speed of Ryan Niblett? What are y'all hearing on him and how he's progressing and adjusting as he goes through his collegiate career?
2: Yeah, I think he just needs more reps. I think he needs more time. Uh, What I've been told is he is uh, the fastest of the receiver group, uh, but that's in a straight line right now. Uh, He needs to be faster on the field overall. Uh, And so he's got good hands. It's not his hands. Uh, He just has to get in and out of routes quicker, uh, be less straight line and more dynamic uh, out of the slot because they need people that can make people miss in a phone booth out of that that position. That's really what Jordan Whittington didn't give Texas either that I was trying to explain earlier. They're looking for someone that can, you know, make someone miss for an extra four yards to get a first down out of that position. Uh, that's typical of the slot. Uh, and so that's where more excuse me, niblet as well as Deandre Moore are part of that.
1: And then drew him says of the wide receivers we currently have, who is the 50, 50 ball guy to replace AD Mitchell. Is there one?
3: It's going to have to be Ryan Wingo. There's not another big body on campus at the moment. You know, if you look at the the wide receiver body types of DeAndre Moore, Ryan Niblett, Jonte Cook, now even Matthew Golden, there's just not that kind of body in the wide receiver room at the moment. So whether or not the portal is at that fix, if it's CJ Daniels, if it's somebody else, Texas will have to find out. In the spring, if, you know, who that guy will be.
2: I want to – this is why going after Silas Bolden is, is interesting or LeJonte Wester uh, out of Fort Atlantic. They're very similar types, although Wester is more of a accomplished punt returner um, and a little bit bigger than Bolden. Those two guys are, are possibilities through the portal. So is a guy named Dorian Singer out of USC that Johnny Nansen, new linebackers coach, has some familiarity with. Because Singer was at Arizona two years ago, um, caught more than a 1,000 yards worth of passes, transferred to USC this past year, did not get used much. Uh, He would be a 50-50 ball catcher uh, if you added him to the roster. I agree. Uh, And the other person I would add to that mix maybe uh, for you, uh, CJ, is Parker Livingstone. I mean, I know that he's not uh, as highly rated as Ryan Wingo, but he is a downfield 50-50 guy with his length. Uh, that would be expected. Is he ready to go day one once he steps on campus? We'll see. Uh, that, By the way, it's less than six days when those guys show up now. What, <laughs> it's today the 9th, is that right? Yep, it sure is. Um, yeah, so it's five days. They show up on uh, uh, January 14th ready okay. to go. <laughs> Well, we're
1: going to stay on the wide receiver conversation for a minute because it's conversation is definitely driving in the chat. And uh, Will B says, why do we keep going after these smaller receivers?
2: Touchdowns.
3: Speed. (laughs)
2: Yeah. (laughs) Go for it, CJ.
3: I mean, it's just, it's been a staple of Steve Sarkeesian's offenses anywhere he's been. You know, you get playmakers, you get speed. Uh, You know, would you like them to be a little bit taller? Sure. But like if, like anything, if, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And right now, Texas is getting a lot of speed with the receivers that they have on campus right now, and the build that they're kind of seeking after. I know the 2023 wide receiver or 2024 receiver group is a little bit bigger than what we've come to expect and, and know from classes in the past, but it's all about speed. Like Bobby said, it's all about getting a guy uh, the ball in space and letting him wiggle his way through the secondary and get you know yards after the reception. I think you would rather take that than what Tom Herman's wide receivers would do. And that was just a big body possession catch. You know, you're looking for five yards. You're going to get five and a half. I think you'd rather have the idea of a guy needing five yards and the potential is he gets 64 or 65 or whatever it is. You know, that that, that's just how Sarkeesian views his wide receivers guys with dynamic playmaking ability yards after catch ability uh, ability to hit the home runs, everything, all the cliche uh, sayings about big time playmakers at the wide receiver position. That's what Sarkeesian's get, getting at right there with the speed. And that I, I prefer it as well. He is big and shark. Uh, Sark's offense is predicated
2: on yards after catch. That's what CJ, I mean, so the quick passes to Jaden blue in the flat, he doesn't use even a juke to get by the first guy. He uses his speed.
3: Well, yeah, Xavier Worthy against Michigan or right. uh, sorry, Wyoming.
2: Yeah, that that's what he's using. It's yards after catch in large part. He he definitely wants to throw deep. So don't get me wrong, that's part of Sark's offense. But underneath, that's what he wants. And and you know you could add like you add speed. Uh, this was an anomaly this past year. Not only Freddie Debose, but Parker Livingstone and. Um, Ryan Wingo, all big receivers. So it's not like Sark says, okay, I don't need any of those guys. I need one or two. What I remember is this. So uh, when you start talking to all these big receivers, one of the things that was one of the funniest things I ever uh, dealt with is uh, Ed Orgeron, the former Ole Miss and LSU head coach. Uh, He came by the the office one time and I spent about 30 minutes with him. Uh, We did an in-person interview, you know, took him around, all this other stuff. He was at USC, with Steve Sarkeesian back in the heyday, right? Of USC, Pete Carroll's uh, time. And he goes, look, we look, we loved Mike Williams. I don't know if y'all remember the big bodied receiver uh, for Mm -hmm. USC. Yep. And we loved Dwayne Jarrett, uh, another guy that that played against Texas. And he goes, so we went and tried to find a bunch of those guys, you know, because we love, we thought these big bodied receivers were all great. He goes, well, what happened to us, in three years, we found out none of them could run. <laughs> and so, so we ended up, we had this high-powered, high-octane offense with these jets going down the field, Steve Smith and those kind of guys going down the field, and we turned around and we ended up with a slow wide receiver group at USC, which just basically tore our offense apart. He go, and, and so I want to say this, that's why – Steve Sarkeesian, when he takes big guys like Ryan Wingo or Parker Livingstone, make sure that they're having NFL caliber speed. Okay. So he's been down this road before and seen the outcome. Right. And so I, I think that that's one of the reasons why speed trumps size uh, at receiver almost every time. I mean, yeah. almost every time. Look at Tyreek Hill. That's yeah. The I mean, Aylan Waddle. Uh, You can you can name the the group uh, to your point. Um, Now, not every receiver is going to have Tyree kill speed, obviously. But the point being, they got to they got to create separation and you can do it with either arm length or uh, quickness or speed. Uh, It's hard to do it just solely with arm length. You have to do it with quickness and speed as much as anything.
1: All right, Joey, we have a super chat uh, from Daniel Kinnaman, and Daniel says, "With the addition of four high school wide receivers and what appears to be two portal wide receivers, are we expecting more wide receiver attrition?"
2: I wouldn't think so. Do you? Uh, sure Jay Hipple much- or DeAndre Moore
3: would be the only a- other two that I can think of. What about? What do you think? I was going to say I'm not sure how many more receivers there are to you know be in this conversation for attrition. You know, Texas right. lost a lot. They lost. You know, was it five guys basically? Two, whether it be the portal or the NFL. So, I I don't know. I think I would think everybody would be in. You know, if if Ryan Nibbler, or DeAndre Moore don't see themselves as fits with all these additions, I, I think that's more. Uh, I I think that conversation would be better suited for after spring, after seeing where they stack up. Because I I you know they committed to Texas for a reason. They like Steve Sarkeesian. They like this offense. I'd like to see where they fit in a wide open wide receiver room before writing them out or expecting them to move on. And I hope they see the same as as, as I do.
1: Uh, Brian Jones asks, will the focus going forward for Texas as far as wideouts go, will it be bigger size for the SEC transition? Seems like SEC wideouts have the go up and get it factor more than the big 12. But before y'all answer that, I want to add this one from James Corns. He says, we talked about speed and I'm with you 100 percent. But what about the red zone? Could this be where our struggles come from? Our best red zone threats were Sweat and Murphy.
2: So there's an element of truth to that red zone thing. But I think actually the red zone issue is more Sark's willingness to put Quinn in quick decision-making scenarios in the red zone. That That's one of the areas that Quinn has to improve on, and, and Sark has to coach him on, and, and put, him in those, put him in those tight windows that aren't just RPOs. I mean, how many red zone TD throws did Quinn have that weren't RPOs? There weren't many. Okay? So that's going to be something that I think Quinn and Steve Sarkeesian work on. Uh, As far as this, the thing with the SEC is size and speed combined are better, right? Uh, Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not again. I'm not anti-size. I think Ryan Wingo and Parker Livingstone have uh, SEC size, but they also have SEC speed. That's the big piece that people have to recognize. Um, The SEC, you're fine if you have a six foot tall or six one or six two receiver, as long as he runs four five. He can't run a four, six, five, or if he does, you can only have one of those. You can't have two or three.
0: Yeah,
2: that That's, I mean, that's the, that's the the piece of it that, that we have to be aware of.
1: Okay, guys, we're going to move on here. Uh, let's do this super chat from Brian Hudson. Who's going to be the punt returner slash kick returner next year?
2: Woo. I don't know that it's decided uh,
3: about the punt returner yet. What do you think, CJ? Yeah, I remember early in August when we were able to go, when media was able to go check out uh, practices, It, you know, Jontae Cook was receiving punt returns. DeAndre Moore was in that conversation. Uh, not as much Ryan Niblett as you might expect with his speed, but he was in the conversation a little bit. Uh, I thought I really liked what I saw from Jaden Blue returning kicks, you know, in the, in the Sugar Bowl. I thought he had a little burst to him. Uh, we obviously know what the speed is like. Will they entrust a, a running back two or potentially even one to be that main kick returning guy? I hope so because he's a great playmaker. So I think that's where they're lead, they'll are lean right now. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think if you look at the, the punt returning game, that's a lot to, to make up for with the departure of uh, uh, Xavier Worthy. That needs to be a dynamic playmaker. And I think Texas has those pieces right now in their wide receiving it's just about putting it on the field and and obviously making the steps to to duplicate it. Yeah, I, I you got to think Matthew
2: Golden is a, your kicker returner. Um, you got to think that he's yeah, yeah part A. I mean, he averaged thirty five yards of a kick return, but you add him with with uh, Jaden Blue, and all of a sudden you you know you can't kick right or left uh, per se. Uh, you know, Savion Red was back there with. Uh, uh, Jaden Blue, he was kind of the lead blocker at times in that alignment. Uh, so be aware of that. Uh, I think that was a big one. Uh, but my take on it is really kind of this. Um, I think that the kick return is taken care of with Golden, uh, and andor Blue. I think the punt return is up for grabs. I will say this if they take LeJonte Wester out of Florida Atlantic, punt returns taken care of. So, be, be on the lookout for him as well. He is a fantastic punt returner.
1: Okay, guys. Well, I think our special guest is here this morning, so I'm going to go ahead and add him in here, Coach Bob Shipley. And Coach Shipley, how you doing this morning?
0: Hey, doing great. How y'all doing this morning? Hook up, Coach. What up, hey,
2: baby? You know, you thought you know you saw that game last night, just like we all did. What were your immediate thoughts uh, coming out of that game uh, with uh, Michigan and Washington? Just want to hear hear what you had to think. Well, I think
0: it's obvious that Michigan's a more physical team. We all kind of knew that going in, whether uh, Washington's finesse was going to be able to, you know, handle that. I just thought uh, Michigan's defensive game plan was brilliant. You know, they they disguised their coverages. They mixed up their coverages. They were running some three deep secondaries, some cover three uh, at times, which uh, which will help, you know, obviously eliminate those, those deep balls. And then they were getting good pressure on him, You know, they were giving him a bunch of looks up front and, and getting pressure on him. He had to get rid of the ball. So, you know, it was, it was a while into the game before he took a, a deep shot, you know, and that's kind of been their bread and butter. So, and then when he did take deep shots, we had two deep safeties that were able to, you know, take a good angle and, uh, and be able to bat the ball down, you know? So, uh, I thought the defensive game plan was brilliant. I thought they were more physical. I thought their secondary did a great job. I didn't realize uh, that their Michigan's defense was uh, rated the way that they were, and and were as dominant as they were. I, I think you know, defensively that was that that was, you know, my thoughts with Michigan. Offensively, obviously, you know, we kind of, you know, we kind of had some hindsight last last week about running the football, you know, but. They definitely, I think, had some some good, uh, of, co- of course, the running back was unbelievable. I thought he played a great game, but still, they did a really good job of, uh, you know, taking advantage of some things that, that Washington wasn't doing real well, a la, uh, you know, fitting on the run, so. Uh, it was pretty amazing when you had holes that wide open. I think I could have run through a couple yeah.
2: of holes, at least for three or
0: four yards.
2: It <laughs> was interesting. It, it seemed like Washington adapted on defense in the middle part of the game. Got us got a key stop there to make it <clears throat> only I think 17 to three instead of going up 21 to three. And then the game kind of turned into this little defense back and forth where Washington just basically said, "Okay, if JJ McCarthy beats me by throwing, then that's what's going to happen." I'm, we're not going to sit back and just let this guy run all over us, right? Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I'm with you. I mean, CJ, what do you, you think that, that Michigan's defense was
3: just overwhelming? I mean, it, it looked like Pennix had no time at all. I did. I I thought coming into the game, uh, they were ranked number one in the country in points per uh, per possession allowed defensively. I thought that's you know stood out to uh, last night, obviously against Washington, uh, coach. To your point. They took away the deep pass. Washington did not attempt many deep throws at all, and when they did, it wasn't a great throwing night from Penix. Uh, do you think that? I mean, in, in your eyes, was there a, a a too late of an approach in the game for Penix and, and and the board to go deep? Was it already in Penix's mind that he was going to be pressured, get hit uh, as a result? Do you? Was that well, kind of, I, uh, I
0: I think uh, when you see when you're getting pressured and then the defense has, you know, three guys deep, in other words, those three guys are all three coached. Don't let anybody behind you. You know, he's not going to have a guy, you know, running a step ahead of a corner and just where you could just throw a rainbow. Well, he doesn't throw rainbows, but just, you know, throw it right in without having to worry about a safety coming over the top. And I think that really got him out of his rhythm. Uh, you know, we saw uh, last week when we played him, that he does a good job throwing the ball on the run. It's not that, you know, uh, it, you know, it's it's not that he didn't have time to set up and throw. He would throw, he would, he was making throws on the run against us that were just unbelievable. And, and obviously he was, you know, he was in the zone against us. He had an incredible night, but I think Michigan disrupted him a lot. Uh, able to get pressure on him, get him. He had to get rid of the ball so quick. He was just zinging it out to, and, and And in fact, most quarterbacks probably wouldn't have been able to get rid of the ball on on several of those passes because, you know, he just has such a quick release that he's able to zing it across, you know, and, uh, and get rid of it and, and still complete some of them, although they were, you know, short passes and, you know, you expect your backs and they did break one for a big first down a one tackle for a big first down, but, but typically, uh, you know, they were giving him uh, the short stuff and taking away the deep stuff. And that, and I know, uh, that that's, you know, offensively, when you're used to doing that, that's frustrating. You know, you're taking away my favorite thing to do, you know, and so now you're making me do something I don't want to do, you know, and, and and they were still able to get the pressure on him so that he, could, he couldn't even throw the short to middle without being harassed. So, um, yeah, it was, let, it was
2: crazy game. You, this, you said it was a brilliant defensive game plan. Do you think Texas had the personnel that, I Texas doesn't look like it has the personnel that Michigan has. <clears throat>
0: <clears throat> that's that's a really good point, and I I do think uh, you know obviously Michigan was I think the number one uh, pass defense in the country. Uh, so yeah, obviously personnel had a lot to do with that. But <clears throat> I'm a, excuse me, I'm I'm not sure why we didn't go you know uh, with with more. I I don't know about you know cover three you know three deep or something that you know. You don't just throw out there, uh, ha- never having seen it or done it before, in one week to get ready for a national championship game or a semifinal game. But I, I do think there's some things that we could have done better over the top. But I, I think you're probably right. I think we did we did what we felt like we could do with our personnel, which which was not on the same level as Michigan.
2: What were your thoughts overall uh, on Michael Penix? Still. Still think he's a whale of a quarterback. Uh, just was pressured so much yesterday. Uh, any you you have any uh, negative thoughts coming out of that game about Texas based on how they played, or or just that Texas has further to go, maybe on some on some things.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think we're <clears throat> Texas is more like Michigan, uh, more like Washington than we are like Michigan. Michigan is uh, just an overall very sound team. I mean, I, I, I don't, where's their weakness? I don't know where it is, you know, and, and we're, we're not, we're not there yet. Um, So I think, uh, I think I'd like to see us get a little, uh, obviously like we all would, you know, we're going to, we're going to do better in the secondary next year, but, but still just, just overall the, the physicality and the speed that they had and, you know i mean when they're when they're back you know when they when they broke through they were gone you know uh washington didn't have anybody to catch them so uh yeah I, I don't think we're where we need to be recruiting yet the level of athlete that we have to have to you know to be able to win those kind of games last night but <clears throat> we're certainly uh so far from where we were and getting closer every recruiting class you know to being uh, able to compete with the michigans and the ohio states and those people. Uh, on any given uh, weekend,
2: I, I think back to it, and I was told uh, that going into this game, like actually two weeks ago, as Texas was was preparing for for uh, uh, Washington and, and all this stuff, I was told that the only weak spot on Michigan's team was wide receiver. They didn't have that one wide receiver. Like they, they, the thought was, imagine their team with Xavier Worthy at wide receiver right now. You you pretty much have a team that has, you know, a legit big time player at just about every position. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian, he was asked in the preseason, because Jim Harbaugh uh, has been famously very uh, strong about this team. He said that he thinks he has as many as 20 NFL draft picks that are going pro this year. Oh my goodness. I know. And so (laughs) that gives you guys a feel for, the kind of physicality that Texas uh, would would have been facing, but uh, my my take on it, you know, in, in give me give me your feel on this, too, Coach, coaches. Look, Texas has to be what Texas can be when it when it when it has the pieces of the puzzle, um, and so where they're at two years from now, are they going to be more physical? Well, yes, their their offensive line is getting more physical. they they're getting to that level if Texas would have just lined it up and ran like they tried to do against, or like uh, Michigan tried to do against uh, Washington, Washington would have done the same thing that, that they did against Michigan and tried to make Quinn Ewers beat them. Uh, I feel like, you know, you got to, you got to try to, it's a, it's football is a game. It's a game. It's a stra- game of strategy, a game of execution. There's no, Hey, let's just run the ball and we'll win. Yeah. It, right. It's more complicated than that. Cause, of all the emotions that I heard coming out of the Texas Washington game is Sark should have just ran the ball down their throat, right? Well, that doesn't always just work. I mean, Michigan showed that because they tried to do that. And until they mixed in the passing game to the tight end, they were hope they, they got kind of flummoxed on that. Explain that thought process because it's, it's not as simple as it. Hey, just run the ball. Yeah, that's exactly
0: right. And I think – you know, our coaches were obviously trying to get together a game plan that fit our personnel. You know, you can come up with some great schemes to be able to, you know, do, but if you don't have the guys to carry it out, it kind of reminds me of, um, you know, after we lost to Alabama in the national championship and in, in the Rose Bowl, seemed uh, enamored with the big SEC running game and these, you know, and so all of a sudden, you know, he wants to, you know, ha- have that power running game. I think he felt uh, I I don't know. He just felt like that was the the way of the future. And so we took the offensive lineman that had been taught to retreat, you know, every snap to pass block. And, and obviously in Texas, there's so many people that are throwing the ball. You get guys that don't have a background of coming off the ball with a flat back and blowing people off the line they're, you know, they're protecting the air raid or whatever people are running in high school. There's so many different combinations now. And so you can't do that. Obviously, you know, we were, we failed miserably. It it wound up costing, uh, you know, Greg Davis's job. And, and ultimately I think Mac his job, you know, we just, we were lost in that process of trying to be something that we weren't, mm-hmm. you know, you have to recruit to it and get to it. And, and I don't know that the, uh, like I said, the linemen in, in, in the state of Texas that you recruit, uh, most of them aren't, you know, they don't spend a lot of time under a cage coming off with a flat back and, you know, doing all those things. But um, I think our I think I st- again, our staff did, you know, what they felt like our kids and they, they know better than than anybody, obviously the limitations and the strengths of, of our players and, and how they could fit into that scheme. And at some point you just kind of kind of roll roll the dice and say, Okay, well, I mean, this is this is what we got. And uh, you know, and 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 if if Pennix hadn't been throwing so accurately, obviously, a week ago, it would have been you know a hey, great game plan, you know. <laughs> but <clears throat> absolutely, did not quite get the pressure on them that we needed.
2: Yeah,
3: coach, I ask this this next question because Texas does go to Michigan next year, week two to start off the year. Uh, we obviously just talked about how Michigan's maybe number one hole on their roster was that. You know, dominant wide receiver. Texas gonna have to rebuild, reshape, retool the roster as we know it from a year ago. Obviously, Michigan will have some departures as well. But is there a spot that you see Texas needing to make a you know probably a larger jump than most on the roster right now to contend and compete and potentially defeat you know, Michigan whenever they head to the big house next fall?
0: Well, I think offensively, of course, you know we need to we need to continue to bring those young guys along on the offensive line. Uh, I I've, I've heard you say many times, Bobby, and I I really think that, that there's so much truth to the depth and the level, um, that those guys are, we have now that we didn't have before. If we, we had a guy get hurt. I mean, it was a huge drop off, you know, now, now we've got a lot of, uh, Sunday type players, I think in that room. So I think we need to continue to develop those guys. Um, you know, offensively, my, my biggest question, you know, is going to be obviously, as you all know, replacing our receivers and having uh, that threat because uh, you get used to that, you know, and you know, next year, if we don't have that, you know, that deep threat guy or somebody that can really stretch the field, then they were going to have to rely on the running game more. And I don't know that that is what, you know, that, I don't know that that Sarks wheelhouse. I mean, obviously he, he likes to run the ball, but uh he sure likes to swing it, sling it down the field. Um, but I think you know the the way the transfer portal is now, and everything's so crazy. You know, <clears throat> who knows what next year's Michigan team is going to look like? You know, who know who knows what the Texas team is going to look exactly. like? I mean, you know, you take twenty guys, you know, off of that roster in Michigan, and you got a whole whole different team now. You know, I'm sure they they've been recruiting obviously at a high level, and you know they'll, you know, just like just like we're hoping our younger guys and our transfers will fit in. Well, they're doing the, they're doing the very same thing, but uh, it's, it, it'll be an intriguing matchup, especially if we can get the receivers in, that's the key offensively. And, you know, deep defensively is no, no, no secret, you know, in the back end, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to get better and be better. And uh, for, you know, for us to have a chance to go up there and compete next fall.
2: Bob, the the, the other thing I was going to ask you, um, as, as it relates to replacing those receivers, I look, 217 catches between the top four receivers, including J.T. Sanders. They actually lose the top five pass catchers from this year because Jonathan Brooks was a leading pass catching running back with 25 catches. That is a lot of production. And both of your kids played receiver, right, (laughs) at at Texas. I I mean – what is that gonna? I mean, what do we? What should we even expect? Do we not know what to to expect? I mean, yes, they're bringing in in uh, a Matthew Gold, and Jonte Cook looks like he's ready, but man, this is gonna just be a whole different crew with a different set of strengths and weaknesses. And you lose a you lose a team leader like Jordan Whittington out there. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
3: A laundry. Oh, a book club.
0: Computer solitaire,
2: huh? Ah, <sighs> oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase
3: necessary. forward by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Seeking the truth
2: never gets old.
0: it's huge and and just just because you know we've had a little success the last couple of years with those guys don't think it's going to be automatic with it's just next you know the next man up you know uh i i've said this before I, i look i look for quinn and and uh those guys to arch to really spend a lot of time with those new guys this winter and this spring and this summer it'll be just um you know obviously our coaches will have that set up as well but that's going to be key to how well those guys first of all do are they just going to you know do they have the athletic ability that these last guys had and if they do can we get them in the system and teach them the nuances because you know it's not it's not you know the old days you know it's like okay well I've got a go route on this no I've got a I've got a post or whatever it's not like that anymore you know it's really not it's it's a lot of the the routes uh, depend on the coverage, you know, and you'll see quarterbacks all the time and receivers, uh, you know, throw a ball. There's nobody there. Well, okay. They were on the wrong page. Well, how can they be on the wrong page? You're thinking, you know, you've got a route. Well, no, those routes change. And so being able to get guys on the same level, I remember a time, uh, when I think, uh, 2008 season, Texas was playing Arkansas in Austin and, um, -hmm. I saw uh, uh, Jordan ran a go route, and Colt was—I uh, don't remember if it was a drop back. I think it was a sprint out to that side, and at the last second, it looked like, <clears throat> you know, he was just going to throw a fade, and then uh, Colt just threw a dart to Jordan's outside shoulder, and and Jordan uh, turned to the outside and caught it right on right in the right on the line. It was touchdown, and uh, I I said, hey, what do you what do y'all call that play? And he said, well, uh, it's just this. And I go, yeah, but how, how did How did you know? I mean, wh- what's the call when he's going to throw it, you know, outside like that, you know, when it looks like you're running a fade? He goes, that's no call. It's no call. And I said, well, how, okay, how do you do it? I'm trying to get that on my high school team, you know? And he said, I can tell by the angle, by the angle of Colt's shoulders, whether he was going to throw the deep ball. If his, if, his, if, his, if, his, if his shoulders are pitched up a little bit, I know he's going to throw it deep. If his shoulders were down, I knew he was going to throw it uh, hard into the outside, and so he could just tell by the way Colt was set up throwing it whether it was going to be a fade or he was going to throw it to his outside shoulder, and that's what it takes. And that they, they didn't just draw that up that day. I mean, it's something they did months and months and months and months. And and Quan was the same way. Quan would make they'd make some unbelievable plays, and they just they just knew each other so well. And that's what these guys got to do they've got to get in the film room they've got to get in the indoor or wherever they can get and just rep 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 and try to get some rapport and try to figure each other out what they're thinking and get get a good mix of guys who's going to fit in which receiver spot you know and that's it's not just well i'm gonna put my fastest guy at x no maybe not you know uh it just depends on uh what they're able to do so it's those guys spending the time with the quarterbacks and the coaches, putting all those guys in the right position to to
2: to help them run the system that they want to run. Coach, uh, just great stuff there, and and uh, I, I can see that play happening the way you described it. I can see that play happening in, in my mind. You know what I mean? It's like uh, it's that's uh, that's what football is all about. It's why it's, in my opinion, the best sport there is. All right, that's Bob Shipley, Coach. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bud. We'll see. Hey, you my well. pleasure. Always enjoy it. All right, we'll see you on Thursday night on football coach. With Rob Babers. Hook All him. right, hook him guys. What a what a good guy, good, good rep at the University of Texas. His sons were just tremendous players, uh, tremendous ambassadors to the University of Texas as well. Uh what a fountain of information there, Blake. What do you think? Yeah,
1: that was an awesome story. <laughs> that was an awesome story there. <laughs> For sure. All right, guys, we got a super chat that we're going to jump over to real quick. Uh, Dax Kelm, he says, what's the holdup on were announcing? Is it NIL negotiating?
2: No, it is not. It's actually uh, something else that will become apparent when he announces. Um, that's all I'm going to say at this point. Uh, so uh, be be aware of that. Uh, I, I fully expect him to still uh, return to school. I mentioned at one point it was 90 percent to 95 percent. I'm at 98 and a half to 99 percent. It would take uh, something major to, to change that mind. Uh, by the way, not only he, but Jade Barron, uh, their date, their drop dead date for the NFL draft is January 15th. Uh, so it's six days from today. It's, it's one week from Monday. So that's that's where it's at. Uh, we'll know something for sure by then on those two guys.
1: All right, well, you're watching Coffee and Football right here on, on Texas Football. Plenty of time to get your questions in, so please do just that. But before we move on, fellas, I need to tell everybody out there about Manscaped. And cheers to the new year from our friends at Manscaped, because your resolution shouldn't be the only things that are well-kept. 2024 is the time for new heights, new opportunities, and a new look for your Times Square Balls. Manscapes Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra is every man's cheat code to look good, feel good, and turn the page on confidence this year. Whether you're looking to maintain a trim or go for that clean shaven look, this trimmer has you covered. It's trusted by over 10 million men worldwide, and now is your time to get a grip on your grooming with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com, use code ONTEXAS, and they're going to give you 20% off plus free shipping. Happy New Year or Happy New Balls. And introducing the MVP of 2024, Manscaped's fifth generation lawnmower. It's not just a trimmer, it's your grooming sidekick. It's equipped with two skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little off the top and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. It's like having a personal stylist at your fingertips or, well, wherever you need it. And did I mention it's waterproof because the trim in the shower is the only way to start your day. So get 20% off and free shipping with code ONTEXAS at Manscaped.com because nothing says Happy New Year like a deal that leaves your balls and your budget feeling refreshed. Embrace a new you and definitely embrace a new trimmer, courtesy of Manscaped. Better you than me. <laughs> better you than me re- reading that. I, I about got it memorized at this point. So oh, we need we ahead.
2: need CJ to do that. He, he's more that age, I think.
3: <laughs> I'll put on a show. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Bobby winces <Wentz> uncomfortably. <laughs> All right, Bobby, we're we're Not gonna get back to, to, to football for your sake. Right here on On Texas football. Triplet Joseph 44 has a super chat, and he says, Who's a better wide receiver? C.J. Daniels or Isaiah Nayor?
2: You know, I want to say this, and I'm not uh, – Nayor got in the doghouse for whatever reason uh, after he came back. He just never broke uh, – who, who calls it the – oh, Rod calls it the circle of trust that Steve Sarkeesian had at receiver. And if you don't enter the circle of trust, you get you don't get much playing time. Well, Isaiah nayor didn't enter the circle of trust after he returned. It wasn't all about his knee not being 100%. Some of that was he didn't run the right routes. He didn't practice hard. or I don't know the exact. I'm just throwing stuff out there a little bit. I don't know all of the reasons why. I know that he just did not enter the circle of trust. At the end of the year, Texas trusted Jonte Cook more than they did Isaiah nayor uh, Nayor, by the way, uh, is now transferring to uh, Nebraska. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do up there. I, I, only thing I would add, Blake and CJ, to this is I don't know who's better. Like, you know, I know that CJ Daniels, though, is on a trajectory to be a good receiver, a reliable receiver, 55 catches, et cetera. He was the number one receiver for I mean, there's a piece there that that all makes sense. Um, And so whether it's CJ Daniels, Silas Bolden, who we mentioned earlier, who's making an official visit to Texas, we believe this weekend or is wanting to uh, or LeJonte Wester or, you know, even Dorian Singer, whoever it is that they come up with out of the portal, they're looking for production coming in. So that's one of the things that that I think that Steve Sarkeesian has really talked about. He needs some people that are proven. Uh, and know where to go, what to do, how to be, et cetera. Hey, here's a good question. I'm
1: curious to get y'all's input on this. Adam said, and this is going back to what Coach Shipley said a second ago, does that type of relationship still exist in the portal area? Colt, Ship, and Quan spent years together. These years, players may only interact for one year. Would you love your thoughts? What do y'all think about that?
2: I, I think it It's exists. still there, just
3: not as much.
2: Yeah, I, I think it exists. I think the question is um, they don't always have to be like, it doesn't always have to be with just one quarterback and one receiver. Like the receiver can work on his own skills with a different quarterback as well. And just translate the nuances from one to another. Like he was talking about the front shoulder of Colt being down meant he was going to drive the ball. The Front shoulder being up meant he was going to throw it with some arc, right? That's the, the you can see other similarities. Well, maybe Arch does this versus Quinn doing this, and it's it's the same kind of thing that the receiver has to to uh, do to to accommodate for with just different motions. Uh, but certainly the the three or four year starter at quarterback with the three or four year starter at wide receiver is certainly something that. Uh, Doesn't happen very often anymore, and I and I think it is to CJ's point. Just it's just not it's not as doesn't happen as often. Uh, We're in a different time of college football right now. Yeah,
1: Uh, we've had lots of questions regarding Savion Red, um, especially after our wide receiver conversation earlier. So let's let's do one of these. Kyle Fowler says, "Could Red turn into that do anything for Texas guy like Jordan Jordan Whittington was and move back to some wide receiver?"
2: I mean, they he could. He did not move there during Sugar Bowl practice. Now, granted, that that was because they were still in season, but moving Jelani McDonald to safety was done during Sugar Bowl practice. Um, what are your thoughts there, CJ?
3: Well, I think to that point, Texas didn't necessarily lose four or five guys at the wide receiver position at a, at a depth necessity uh, in which I, you know, kind of expected Jelani McDonald to move back there as a result of. Uh for Savion, who moved from receiver to running back, has carved out a pretty niche role for himself in that kind of wildcat, uh, you know, kind of deal, whatever you, you might call it, the red cat, whatever it is. That running back room is pretty crowded. You know, if there is a path to the field, it is kind of in that slot, kind of bully wide receiver role that we saw Jay win in at times this year in terms of being that lead blocker, being that guy to – to go out and take on linebacker safety to, to, to lead the way for whoever is behind them with the, the football, it would make sense on paper because there's not a physically uh, kind of intimidating wide receiver on the roster at the moment that we know of. You know, that, that that's the biggest key right now. We don't know just yet who will step up and and take that step physically that we've seen from a, a Jordan Winnington over the last couple of years, so it would make sense in theory, but again, it would have to make sense if the numbers add up on both positions. Texas feels very comfortable with Jarrett Gibson, Christian Clark coming in as well. Uh, just how everything shapes up at the wide receiver and running back position uh, once spring Ball arrives, it would certainly help. You know, the Swiss Army knife that is saving on red, let him do an, uh, um, a million things. You know, and I, I would be for it. All
1: right, guys. Well, we have had a lot of people join since we first started the show. Over a 1,000 watching right now on Coffee and Football. I want to thank all of you for tuning in. So let's reset here and go back over the news that we opened the show with. Bobby, and we will lead with Texas, of course, being ranked number three in the final AP poll. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I think report. it's big. Te- Texas finishes three uh, behind Michigan and Washington. Uh, Georgia, the only one I thought could have leapfrogged, right? Um Look at Florida State staying at seven, by the way. What do y'all think about that? Like CJ, Blake, you know, their their performance in the Orange Bowl was bad, but it was also their third string, yeah. right? So that that's, a, that's an interesting ranking for Florida State, in my opinion. I don't yeah, know
3: what to do. I'm a little surprised by Florida State staying at seven, but at the same time, I'm kind of even more surprised Georgia jumped up to four. Did Alabama not just take Michigan to overtime? Did I miss that game being as close as it was? Uh, so i I don't know if you if you put stock in you know that Georgia Florida State game, I understand it, but Alabama played Michigan probably as well as anybody else this entire season. so i I, I kind of disagree with that four and five flip.
1: see i'm I'm under the impression that you can put Georgia I, I think it's fair to even rank them all the way up to number three. I really do. I mean, you got to look at the whole body of work, how they played all the way down to the bowl game, as you said, Bobby, against third string. But they were impressive all season. And then, you know, obviously lost in the SEC championship. I don't know. That's a tough
2: one. Yeah. Uh, other news that broke uh, yesterday Nine Mitchell uh, announces for the NFL draft as expected. We had uh, been thinking that was going to be the case. Uh, Jalen Ford officially announced as well. We already knew he was. I think he's in Phoenix right now, actually, working out already. He had already made the move to Phoenix uh, to start working out on Monday. Uh, So that official news came out as well. And then uh, one that kind of slipped under the radar, uh, as we mentioned, Keelan Robinson uh, going pro as well. Is he expected to be drafted? Most likely not. If he makes a team, it's going to be as a backup running back, kind of a boutique running back, as well as a special teams zealot, whether that's returning kicks uh, being a gunner, uh, et cetera. Uh, it, he will be one of those types of guys uh, for Texas to look at. Um, waiting on still the uh, decision of Jade Barron, the star uh, on the Texas defense, uh, plays that nickelback position. Uh, he is wanting to look more and more at playing cornerback next year and get some reps there. That would be interesting uh, because we had always always thought maybe he might be a better uh, uh, safety, uh, but it's actually his versatility at corner that he wants to try to highlight for NFL scouts for next year if he were to return. Now, this is all uh, a big deal because uh, if he returns, the Texas secondary immediately looks uh, significantly better next year than it did this year. Uh, because not only is Barron coming back, but they also have a three-year starter from Clemson named Andrew McCuba Two starting corners return uh, in Manny Muhammad and Terrence Brooks. Michael Taffy comes back. Derek Williams the safety uh out of New White, uh New Orleans area uh returns as well. That goes from a potential I thought at times it was a liability this year, it goes to a potential team strength in a single year. That's if if Barron returns, I would be comfortable saying it goes to being a team strength next year.
1: All right, y'all. Well, let's move on to some super chats because we have a lot of them to get to. And we're going to start with this one from Darkborg who just put this in. Thank you, Darkborg. He says, have the secondary players been unfairly criticized for coaching deficiencies or secondaries were never as much of a liability under Akina? Or I think he meant our secondaries were never as much of a liability under Akina through five different de- defensive coordinators. Was the talent never this deficient?
2: think I talked to Dwayne Aquina about a week ago, just just for the record. The 2006 defense for Texas, the secondary was deficient. After you lost, or 2007, can't remember when Dwayne was uh, the defense coordinator for a year. Uh, But there were some secondary liabilities there. uh, And liabilities isn't the right word, but deficiencies is better. Um, So it, it wasn't always perfect back there. It Certainly, it helps when... You know, you had a run of if you ever started at cornerback for Texas for 10 years, you were in the NFL draft, by the way. There was a reason why it was called DBU, and you had safeties like Michael Griffin and Michael Huff, uh, followed by guys like Kenny Vaccaro down the line, Earl Thomas, etc. I I don't think it was coaching. I I really don't. I've, I've, I've talked about that. The one thing that did get changed on coaching, and I think Sark forced the hand on this, was playing more bump and run at the line of scrimmage and challenging players more. Um, Texas was reticent to do that. Uh, Terry Joseph doesn't like to really put his corners in that kind of danger. Uh, but I think uh, Steve Sarkeesian said, look, we got we to gotta roll the dice a little bit more, you know, and, and not just play safe. Uh, and I think Texas did that and re- was largely rewarded for it in two of the three games where they really decided to go out and do that. All right, this
1: next Super Chat, fellas, is from Mr. All-I-Do-Is-Win, and he says, Washington got that same treatment <laughs> from the refs that we got. What do you all think about that?
3: The pre-snaps were there. The pre-snap penalties were were there for both teams, really. Uh, I don't know. I <clears throat> I saw a lot of still graphics and still photos of the Michigan offensive line with a, uh, a handful of jersey a few times, so – I guess that was where that comment was going because that's, you know, kind of been the Texas kind of cry for help the entire season is there's a, a defensive line duo that's amongst the best in the entire country who didn't get a single holding call the entire year, which I a hundred percent, you know, uh, agree with and can see the argument for. So I, I get that a hundred percent. That, that makes sense to me.
2: I I thought that they didn't. Uh, yeah. And they, there's a, there was one that below the waist call where a Michigan player shot in underneath the, the offensive lineman and they didn't call it an undercut because he actually went through it my my look uh i thought it was reasonably officiated i thought that the 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 problem with holding right now is it's unevenly called and that those it's not even the pass interference that's unevenly called pass interference is just whatever they see holding is just so unevenly called in the college game it's ridiculous uh, that is my. If I had, and this is the biggest piece of it all too. I've said this. They now they used to. I could almost understand it because there was only one ref behind the line of scrimmage, looking for holding. Now they have two, and they're still missing them by and large. Um, that that's my problem with with the refereeing at the college level. Just the inequity of holding calls. If it's not egregious, they're not calling it. Or if somebody happens to see one little thing, they are. It's it's really odd. And I'd love to get an official on uh, to try to tell me what they need to do better, because they're obviously missing some. So how do they rectify this problem? Because putting another putting another ref behind the line of scrimmage wasn't the answer. So what is? That's that's my question. It's a tough job. Yeah, no, it's a tough job. I mean, I agree, tough job. But something has to something has to change. Yeah.
1: All right, y'all. We have a few more super chats here. This first one from David, and he says this year penalties were a problem masked by the winds, but we seem to lack discipline throughout the year. We have to improve here. We slam Tom Herman for not getting this addressed. What do y'all think? Uh,
3: to a, to an extent. I I wouldn't say necessarily Texas was bedridden by penalties. There were times where the penalties were a lot. Obviously, pre-snap, shift penalties, formation penalties, those add up. Those are kind of nuanced. But, you know, uh, more times than not, that's a a look your your guy in the eyes and just say, yo, like, come on. That's not a a, a guy that's consistently holding. That's not a, a defensive back that's just consistently grabbing. In my eyes, it's a mental thing in which Texas can and will resolve with another year of these guys in the system. I would be shocked if we walked into 2024 and saw as many pre-snap penalties as Texas did, despite going into a tougher environment in the SEC, louder crowds, bigger, hostile, whatever you might call it. But what we saw this year, I would say, was a little bit more uncharacteristic of guys just being a little too eager at times.
2: I don't think Texas is undisciplined um, overall uh they they can be undisciplined just like any team can um but i i didn't feel like it was habitual i thought that the pre-snap the only penalties that were habitual in my opinion were pre-snap uh too much and a lot of that i mean frankly is sark's proclivity to to do a lot of pre-snap motion you know it, it makes those offensive linemen sit there on their heels a while going through all of that and so there there's some there's some element to that, but I never felt like Texas was undisciplined. I would, I would, everything else I, I, about what, what the super chat said, I agree with, except for the use of the term undisciplined. I think, I think that's a little, you know, I thought penalties tended to be more uncharacteristic than undisciplined. That would be my, my
1: comment. Uh, We're going to combine these next two super chats uh, because they're about the same subject here. Brandon Huey says, did y'all see ESPN has this number two in their college football prediction for 24? And then Sean Rave says, Texas projected at number two in next year's too early top 25 poll, of course, by ESPN. I know Michigan loses like 19 starters off this year's team. What are y'all's expectations?
2: I would be highly surprised if Texas ends up number two in the country next year, guys. Like I'm, I'm a big believer in where Steve Sarkeesian's taking this team, but I look, I, I don't. CJ, you got to do the stats on this. How many starts does Texas lose with these players? Ad Mitchell, Jalen Ford, Keaton Crawford, Jaron Thompson, Christian Jones, Byron Murphy, Tavondre Sweat, Ryan Watts, Jordan Whittington, Xavier Worthy, Jt Sanders, Jonathan Brooks, and Ryan Sanborn. That. <laughs> That is a mouthful of starts and a mouthful of players. Um, Texas. Yes. The one thing about Texas compared to a lot of schools is they have some young guys ready to roll. We think going, go fill, filling those roles. But I mean, come on. I mean, thinking that they're going to go up to number two in the country. Uh, yes. I think Texas has the most important position uh, in the, uh, on the, on the field coming back next year, but Number two in the country is a little a little rich for my blood right now. out uh, lose Texas too. I will oh,
1: say uh real quick, oh, I'm gonna interject here that Brad Crawford also released a uh early top 25. He also has Texas number two. So go ahead. What do you
2: think, CJ? I mean, this I look. I mean, I'm I am I can be the resident pessimist. Fair story. I, I I understand that. What do you think for next year? Like, are you thinking 11 wins or are you thinking more like 9 or 10?
3: I mean what what
2: what is your number right now?
3: I mean it'll be fun whenever the season gets closer to dive through the schedule and kind of the where things are favorable. I know Texas playing Georgia and Oklahoma back-to-back weeks isn't going to bode well for, you know, the overall big picture record-wise, but to your point Bobby, I'm looking at the the transfers, that I think it's up to 13 transfers out Seven declarations for the NFL. This doesn't include Jordan Whittington and Christian Jones as well, but that's 209 career starts. I just did the mental math there. I won an award back in middle school for mental math. So uh, <laughs> we're going to we're gonna trust that one there. But 209 career starts, not including Jordan Whittington, a fifth-year starter, and Christian Jones, a fifth-year starter, or the punter. So a lot is, is what's going to have to be replaced. Uh, to your point, I think Texas is returning a lot of pieces at a lot of important positions, the offensive line specifically, the defensive ends specifically, and cornerbacks. And so that is encouraging to me where Texas has to find pieces, and it's almost flipped on the both sides of the ball, is in the middle on the on the defensive side of the ball, your middle linebacker and your defensive tackles. Uh, obviously safety is kind of a question mark or it's in – kind of limbo at the moment, and then who are going to be your playmakers out wide on offense? We don't know. You, you talked about how many receptions, how many targets, how many yards that is up in the air from from a year ago. We're going to have to have a better idea of this after spring football when we start hearing practice reports of, well, we we know we have a guy in Ryan Wingo, or we really think Tay Cook is that, you know, Xavier Worthy incarnate. You know, we, we just don't know right now. With the way the schedule shapes up, going to Michigan, going to Fayetteville, going to College Station, uh, those are three games where, you know, there's no guarantee Texas is winning any any of those games. You know, I hate to admit it. That's all three are very tough places to play where fans certainly don't want to lose to Texas. So that's kind of, you know, you you just kind of have to wait and see. But I do think nine wins is realistic. Ten I certainly could see Texas winning ten, but anything above that right now, I would be kind of hard pressed to saying, yeah, that that's on on the table for next year.
2: Well, Georgia is going to be if Georgia isn't the preseason favorite, I don't know what to tell you. Correct, um, I'll put it that way. Uh, it'll it'll be interesting too if Michigan's JJ McCarthy comes back next year. A lot of people said think he's going pro, but after that performance last night, it, he didn't look very pro worthy or pro ready to me. Uh, not any, not more so than Quinn Ewers for sure. So, I'm with you. Okay, guys, we have
1: another super chat that we need to knock out before we get out of here. And this one from Football Junkie. He says, "Do we have any potential All SEC guys next season? How do some of our top guys compare to the top guys in the SEC at their positions?"
3: Well, here's one: Quinn Ewers. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want to talk about quarterbacks consistently taking that leap from year to year to year, we saw it from 2022 to 2023 this year with Quinn. You can expect a similar style jump from 23 to 24 next year, despite the increase in, in competitiveness and in the performance. Quinn Ewers right now is, you know, in that conversation for top one, top two, top three quarterback in the SEC, a good year and a friendly offense that Sarkeesian runs. It's fair to think he would be in that conversation for an all SEC bid next year. Uh, I don't know. Calvin Banks certainly in that conversation. I'd love to personally see what Cam Williams can do uh, for a full season of of games as well if he wins that right tackle spot. Uh, But I I think right now Texas is kind of in that position of figuring out who's going to be their guys on both sides of the ball. I I do, and I do hope, you know, that the the Texas cornerback duo takes a big step forward because that would change the trajectory and confidence that I have in the Texas uh, defense for 2024 as well. The
2: only other person that I think I wrote down for sure that I think if they find the right person that plays alongside of them, if it's David Benda that's back, is Anthony Hill. Yep. He has. So when you use the difference between being an all Big 12, uh, all Big 12 first team guy and an all SEC first team guy is all SEC team, first team guys, they tend to go in the first and second round of the NFL draft. Maybe they slip to the third round. Okay. The Big 12, some of those guys that are first team, they aren't drafted. Okay. And so I, I think of it this way I think that, um, I think that you look at guys that have that NFL level potential. Ewers, Banks, Anthony Hill, maybe one of the maybe a Jade Baron if he comes back at star because he's got so much uh, uh, so much uh, experience. Those would be my guys.
1: Hey guys, I, I was just looking while while y'all were answering that question. Fox Sports also has that way too early top twenty five. Texas, number three. Michigan is one. Georgia, two. Texas, three. Alabama, four. Oregon, five. There's a uh, lot of expectations on
2: this program right now. A lot. What do they call that? Rat poison? Yeah, it is a little rat poison. I think Texas better have their head down focused in this offseason. Because they got a lot, to CJ's point, they've got a lot of starts uh, to replace. Uh, They've got a lot of work ahead of them. So any kind of thought process of taking your, your eye off the ball right now, not what they need to be doing.
3: Yeah, I would say the only the only number that should be in that locker room right now was the final score of that Washington-Texas game that Texas is focusing on. Uh, that should be all the motivation that you need moving into, you know, the 2024 season, the offseason ahead is, you know, Texas got close, but there's still a lot, a lot of work left to be done before the ultimate goal is achieved. And, you know, we saw what Michigan did yesterday. There's a, a, a step or two from what Texas put on the field to what we saw Michigan win with last night. And what was, I, I consider a very dominating fashion.
1: Bobby, you're muted.
3: Before we go, I need to mention Texas made a new scholarship
2: offer uh, yesterday. Akeelan Deer uh, is a running back out of Quitman, Mississippi. Uh, it's kind of central Mississippi, closer, a little closer to the Alabama line. Uh, but he's a running back, 6'1", 205, 210 pounds. Uh, he is one of a very few number of running backs that Tashard Choice has offered in this recruiting cycle. Uh, that is a big news. The other one that we're watching at running back right now for 2025 is Jordan Davison out of Santa Ana, Modern Day, who we believe will be in on the uh, January 20th uh, recruiting weekend uh, thinking that Texas has a real good shot there, but uh, a name to watch now, Akeelan Deer, out of uh, out of uh, Quitman, Mississippi, and he is—he's a—he's a really. I watched him this morning; very, very talented running back.
1: Okay, guys, we're going to close with this. Kabir Hussein says we face the last three <laughs> national champions this upcoming season. What do you think about that?
3: That's crazy. I, <laughs> I think we say welcome to the SEC. <laughs> well, they play the 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 three other playoff teams in a span of about fifteen or sixteen games. So that's yeah. just you know luck of scheduling and obviously the the league in which you're entering. So why am, I,
2: why am I why am I blanking on? I know Georgia and Michigan. Who's the third one?
3: Alabama won in 2020. Yeah, but Texas doesn't play Alabama
2: this
1: year. Oh, because well, Georgia uh, went back to oh, back. Oh, Georgia two. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. got
2: you. I got you. <laughs> it, I, I thought there was programs, but you're talking about the last three national teams.
3: That's yeah. good. That's good stat to push a narrative with. I like it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there
1: we go. <laughs> Yeah, that threw me for a loop as well there for a second. All right, Bobby, before we get out of here, tell folks what they can expect later today right here on On Texas Football.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We mentioned Akeel and Deer just a minute ago. CJ and I have a recruiting breakdown today around noon. We're going to get to that, talk a little bit about portal recruiting. Uh, By the way, that's uh, hot and heavy right now, as is attrition that we're uh, still concerned about somewhat. Uh, Then also tonight we have the live stream, CJ, Rod Babers, uh, Aaron Hogan, uh, hosting that for us uh, in the evening. Uh, come back, and there'll probably be some more news that breaks uh, later today. Hey, real quick, David. You know we were talking about
1: possible all SEC. David Williams has the good answer. Burt Auburn.
2: Yep. Yeah, especially since the Alabama kicker's gone. Yeah. Will Riker was, is is uh, a is probably the the. I think he's. They think he's going to be the first kicker taken in the draft. So we'll yep. see.
1: All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Coffee and Football. We want to thank all of you for tuning in. Thank you for all of the super chats. Got to thank Manscaped, of course, for being a sponsor of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow morning. Uh, be sure to hit that like and subscribe button and then ring the bell so you're notified anytime and every time a video is posted right here on On Texas Football. So for C.J. Vogel and Bobby Burton, I'm Blake Monroe, and we'll see you tomorrow morning.
2: Hook up.
3: Y'all have a good one.